0: Thank you so much for being here. I thank Linda for getting the um, outlines out. Hopefully you've all got a sermon outline that will help you track along. And one of the reasons that we do that is because uh, this is not a one-and-done sermon. Our groups that meet throughout the week uh, will discuss that sermon specifically with an eye to application. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? And what you do with it needs to start in this building. Amen? As for, and for a lot of us, it needs to start at this altar right here. Uh, which is always open even during the sermon. Sometimes God moves and you come. Don't you wait for me to stop talking. That place is open. Amen, church? Question. What are you counting on to please God enough to keep you out of hell? Let's talk about that. Pastor Brother Tom will come and read the text from Philippians 3, 1 through 11, and I'll ask you to stand in honor the reading of God's word.
1: finally, my brethren, brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Amen. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Hmm. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead.
0: Amen, this is God's word and may he apply it to our hearts. Father, we come to you asking for your help. Your word is innately powerful Um, It is supernatural because it is your word. We have no doubts in that. I can only provide the natural. You must provide the supernatural. And I'm asking. Because we are slow of hearing. And your people need to be awakened. And you're the only one that's been able to open blinded eyes and unstop deaf ears and even call the dead to life. That is our need. We have a great sin, but we have a greater Savior. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Get your outlines ready. Please have your physical Bible open to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter one. We are box checkers by nature. It comes from living in a fallen world, where if we check enough boxes, our self-worth rises in direct proportion to the pats on the back, the attaboys, the affirmations, and the Facebook likes that we get. We feverishly mine our relationships in order to discover that ever-elusive filling of our love tanks and our significance reservoirs. And it works, to a point. That's why we're still working so hard at it. But isn't it exhausting? The calluses on our souls drive us to wonder, am I doing this right? Is there a better way? And somewhere in the dark corners of our subconscious, we know, we know that our working isn't working. Sometimes we even dare to dream about stepping off that works wheel. And beloved, that dream, that dream is a distant echo of our Creator's original intent. He invites us today to put down the pen, (laughs) stop checking those boxes, and enjoy Him. Because everything you need, He has provided Already. And your job and mine is just to enjoy it. Now, that's good news. That's the gospel. By the way, God does not need nor does he want your help. You are the object of his rescue mission. You are not the agent. And we're going to look at that today through the text, which we will pick up actually in verse number four. Charles Spurgeon said this, let this be to you the mark of true gospel preaching, which I hope to give to you today. Where Christ is everything, the creature is nothing. Where it is salvation, all of grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit applied to the soul by the precious blood of Jesus. So let's look at this text, and first of all, we're going to see Paul's flesh competition, and we find that popping up in verse number 4, chapter 3, verse 4. Now, just on the tail end of, of, of verse number 3, he says, he says to those people, those Philippians, who, by the way, were uncircumcised, and that was you go listen to last week's message to explain that, but the Judaizers were coming in and saying, okay, so in order to be a real Christian, you got to put your faith in Jesus and repent and get circumcised, Christ plus something And in this case, it was circumcision. Paul says, no, in fact, that's not true. It's Christ alone. And you, uncircumcised Philippians, are actually circumcised in your hearts. You're the real circumcision. And he gives those three marks, who worship or serve God via the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that unless you're his. Amen, church? Um, Who who also, don't ju- we don't just worship or serve. That word means serve. We don't just worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say the second mark is that we rejoice or we brag or boast in King Jesus. I've been trying to do that this week specifically. Has anybody joined me in doing that this week? Out loud, verbally, boasting in Christ? Um, yeah, I've been pairing that habit to my coffee. I take that first sip. And I boast in King Jesus for coffee beans. And then lastly, this is where we're on to today, is we put how much confidence in the flesh, church? None. And flesh is anything that you can do by yourself. How much confidence does Paul say? True, circumcised heart people put in their flesh? Nothing. Nothing. So he picks it up there and he kind of challenges, he invites us to a flesh competition. In verse number four, look at what it says there. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. You all ever have that friend that you tell a story and they follow it up with, that's nothing. You all know that person? Yeah. Are they annoying or what? If you're sitting next to them, don't look at them right now. (laughs) But isn't that the truth? You know that guy? Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> right? That's what Paul's saying here. And he's talking about these Judaizers. He knew these men. He said, look, they think they can put confidence in their flesh and check, in their box checking? That is nothing. Let me tell you about my box checking. And then he gives a description. And in your outline, the first four elements of his box checking, his flesh trip, his inventory, if you will, his works for God. I just put in there by birth. He inherited these. So if you inherit it, you do nothing to get it. Paul, this happened to Paul. He didn't do it. And yet his heritage, his heritage checked every box. Just how he come into the world. Here's what he says. Look at look at verse number five. If you know, he says, you know, I'm more so. I got a better flesh than anyone. Here's your list, number five, verse five. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, how much did baby Paul on eight days old have to do with him being circumcised? Was that his choice? Come on, wake up, church. No. Who did that for him? Parents did that. By the way, do you know I was the eighth day? Anybody? It sure does. You've been listening to your father over the years. Your blood clots quicker on the eighth day of your life than any other day of your life. And I'm sure that's a coincidence because God commands, if you're going to follow the law just exactly right, circumcise those baby boys on the eighth day. God didn't tell them about the blood. We've learned that in the 20th century. But God's just good that way, isn't he? Eighth day, Paul said, I got circumcised on the right day. Then he says, I'm a, a, the stock of Israel. Now, that was a little bit of a slap in the face to these Judaizers because a lot of those Judaizers were proselytites or half-breeds. Maybe their dad was a Jew and mom was a Gentile, or maybe they were just Gentiles who became Jews, and now they were zealous for, for Judaism. Paul said, hey, you know what? You bunch of half-breeds, not me, baby, mama and daddy. We're Jews. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and I'll prove it to you. I know what tribe I come from. I come from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the favored tribe. That word Benjamin, N- N- anyone know what it means? I know you know what it means, Ben. Son of my right hand. Yes, sir. Son of my right hand. Now, when he was born, his mama died shortly after giving birth. She gave him a different name. Started with Ben as the son of my sorrow, Ben Omai. And old, old Jacob said, No, we're not doing that to that kid. You're leaving me. You're leaving this world. but That kid's going to be my right hand. He's not going to ever be called son of my sorrow. He's going to be called son of my right hand. All right? Favorite tribe. They had the most integrity of any tribe in Israel. They got a good record. Everybody wanted to be from the tribe of Benjamin. It's like everybody wants to be a gentle. Y'all can't be. We had to be born into that. Or if you're blessed like my wife, you get to marry into that. But, you know, it's just a privilege of a very few select people. And the other Paul was the same way with the tribe of Benjamin. And then he says again, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's kind of a culmination. He said, we were the top stock of the top stock. Could not get any better start by your birth, your heritage, than I got. Then he said, by my behavior. He said, okay, that's what mom and dad did for me. Let me tell you what I did for me and God. "I'm, I'm helping God out. Now, where his birth was inherited, his behavior is earned. Look what he says. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Now, I know we've heard that term, and it's got a negative connotation today. It did not have a negative connotation in his day. I guess the equivalent today, well, he's not even alive anymore. That wouldn't count. But the equivalent today would be like, concerning the law, Billy Graham. Right? Right? So, a, a, a very holy, devout man who was very serious, right? Um, this is what he's saying, a Pharisee. Strictest sect out there. He took it serious. And then, then he goes on to say, not just a Pharisee, but he says concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Right? He said, I was so zealous for the law that when these followers of the way, that was the name of the first early church, they call them followers of the way, or, or they shortened it up, just call them the way. That was the name of the first church," he said. He said, "When when I saw what they were doing, and I saw them as heretics, I was not content to just sit back and keep my mouth shut. One of the things that was said in in, in our small group this last week is that you know what we need. Paul verbally accosted the Judaizers." He called them harsh names and he called them out. And one of the statements that was made, and I appreciated it so much, is that we need to do that from this pulpit. We need to call out the false gospels that are being taught right now in Macon, Georgia at this hour. And there's a lot of them. And we need to not play nice with everybody because everybody's not telling the truth. And I remember an old pastor told me one time you never help anybody with heresy. A lie never helped anybody. So he's calling them out. By behavior, man, I went after these people. I wasn't content to just be quiet and say, well, God will have to deal with them. He said, I was going to deal with them for God. Paul was an on-fire Jew, zealous. Then he says this, Externally, he was blameless concerning the outward conditions of the law. That's a pretty strong one. I have an issue with that. He says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law. Look at the last part of verse 6 in your Bibles. Concerning the righteousness in the law, what's that word say? Really? Yeah, really. This is the external righteousness. What Paul is saying is, nobody that knows me and has watched my life has any grounds to accuse me of breaking any one of these laws. Does that make sense this morning? Now, he does tell us in Romans later, yep, He said, that 10th commandment came and it slew me. What's the 10th commandment? Anybody besides Brian know? Come on, church. You should not covet. That means you should not want what someone else has. And Paul said, I had the outside cleaned up so well, but the inside was full of law breaking. I want, and what he wanted was the influence and the power and even the righteousness he saw in other Pharisees. And he was eaten up with sin on the inside and lawbreaking, But outside, what you could see, and that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's true. I'm kind of impressed. Anybody impressed in here? I'm impressed with Paul. Well, don't be too, too much because look, we're going to see number two is Paul's flesh condemnation. In verses 7 through 8, look what the scriptures say there. But, Mm -hmm. but, and that's an important word there. We're going to talk about that in a second. He's he's making a connection, but it's also a contrast. But what things were gained to me? What were those things? Those seven things he just mentioned, right? Those were all big deal gains to me. What things were gained to me? I have counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ." so let me unpack this a little bit this is paul's flesh condemnation he just gives you this whole list and that's just entitled this next part uh letter a in your outline gains losses and kingdom accounting gains losses and kingdom accounting i know uh, lisa's up there in the balcony running a computer this morning and uh she works in accounting anybody else in here work in accounting oh that's right sure you do sandy um yeah and and what do you do in accounting? You get busy accounting the money, right? It's counting. Uh, and Paul, this is an accounting term. He said, I took all of my gains and then I looked at all my losses and see what, what do we call that when you, when you subtract the losses from the gains? It's called the, the balance, the bottom line. I want to see how much is in my account. Hopefully you all do that with your bank account, right? And so Paul starts off by saying, hey, let me tell you something. Um, this thing didn't add up like I was hoping. You ever had that happen to you? Didn't add up like I was hoping. The first thing I see here that, that caught my eye are the tenses of that verb count. Look, look, let's look at it as we go into verse number seven there. He says, but what things were gained to me, that's in the plus side, right? That's in the deposit side of the, of, of the account. He said, what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. That's in the perfect tense. And it's a little bit different from the past tense, and here's how. And this is going to play in. In the perfect tense, it's a past action, something that happened in the past, but is having a continuing effect to this day. It's a past action that affects you today. I don't feel like you're understanding that. So let let me give you an illustration. Um, June 18th, 1988, 34 years ago, was a past action, a past event that right now is still having effect on me 34 years later. And that's the day that my wife walked down the aisle and said, I will connect my life to this man I will accept the transfer of authority from my father to the authority of this man. And I will do life with him until one of us places the other in the arms of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, that has a continual effect in my life. That's perfect tense. Does that make a little more sense? What Paul is saying here is, is look, at, look at the tense. He said, everything that was in that plus column I have counted. In the past, I looked at all that and I counted it all up and I said, you know what it equals? It equals zero. I've counted it loss. I should should have a ton of money in my moral bank account and I have none, Paul says. Why? For Christ. Look at the next one. Yet indeed, I, here's present tense, I count right now I count all things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. All right. Now, so he said, not only did that start in the past. By the way, you know when that started? On a Damascus road. On a Damascus road, Paul's whole world changed. And he said, I have counted all things lost, that might gain Christ. He said, and right now, by the way, I'm still counting everything as lost. Right? Present tense. And I count all things loss. All right? And then it goes further if you look down a little bit more in that verse. Uh, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Check it out. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and here's this word again, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He's still counting. He said, everything that I can do Physically, through my body, in this world, I take all of that and I count it as loss. I'm still counting. That's kingdom accounting. I'm still counting. And here's the other thing I noticed in this um, is how far he goes with it. The increasing intensity of his description of his accounting as related to his works, both past and present. First he said, I I have counted in the past, now I count all things, and then even now I'm still counting all things as rubbish. But that's not the word. That is a really bad translation. I was very disappointed in my new King James. I generally like it. That was a bad translation. You all know what it says, don't you? Anyone got an old King James out there? What's that word? Dung. That's exactly right. Here's what Paul's saying. He goes from, yeah, I counted all, I counted all that as loss in the past. And I'm still counting it as loss. And then he says, he said, I count all things as loss. And he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, all of my efforts, and I count them as sewage that I might win Christ. I remember years ago when I was in Florida, um, we had a really old building on Sunset Point Drive. And the bathroom was, you had to go out of the building onto the porch and then into the bathroom. And something happened. It was backed up. And we realized through some looking at it, we were going to have to replace the, the pipes. Um, branches had gotten in and we had to go down there and actually replace the pipes. The building was so old, we didn't know this at the time, that they had clay pipes. Anybody ever dealt with clay pipes and plumbing? Especially sewage. Yeah. Back then, I was the thinnest guy in the church. I'll tell you how long ago that was. Um, And so I got the job of digging. I was also the youngest guy. So we dug this hole. I was getting down there. And I'm like, where is this pipe? And I'm down in a hole, about up to here. About this deep in a hole. And I was tired and angry. So I I just want to get this done. So I came down with that shovel, and I found a pipe. A clay pipe and I busted it. And all that stuff that was in there, under pressure, mind you. Sewage, and it's like 3,000 degrees outside. Florida in July. I had a sewage baptism. Not cool, right? And I threw up in there, which you couldn't tell. It was all nasty. I could throw up thinking about it right now. Covered in sewage, right? And here's the thing: I don't know if you've ever, ever, um, ex- hopefully you've never experienced anything like that. But even if you've experienced, I know I've been. I don't know where my son-in-law Joseph is. He's in here somewhere. Um, he's upstairs. There's been a time, the place that he and I hunt, that he manages so well. I was in there earlier in the season. It's hot in the early season, and I'm walking through, and, and I think Ben was with me. I'm like, "Ooh, do you smell that?" And it. Have you ever smelled something rotting, something that's dead, an animal, and it's rotting? It's like you smell that, and what do you? What, what's the first reaction you have? Ooh, you know, you close your eyes and you turn. You can't help it. And there was a there was a deer that had been fighting with another deer and lost and died, and its body was bloated and rotting, and it was the stink, right? it's like it's, like, it's repulsive. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, I count all, because these guys are saying, you got to do this work, this physical work, is the only thing that's going to make you right with God. And Paul said, let me tell you what, I, what, what category I put that in. I put that in the sewage category. I put that in the rotting flesh, nasty stink category. That's how strong, it's, it's a It sounds, sounds like scooby in our language, but it's not. It's nasty. Paul says, that's how I look at anything that I either have done or am doing now that's going to make God love me more or accept me more. It's all sewage. Do you see the intensity increase here? He is really serious. So Paul goes from Sesame Street, just counting, right? Goes from Sesame Street just counting, counting things up and he ends up in the sewer The intensity is building. He is passionate and hot about this. So in summary, this whole section, here's what I want you to hear and understand. Paul adds up all of his hard-won works gained by both his birth and his behavior. And when he does the kingdom math and he adds it all up, the sum of all of his efforts equals what? Zero. And by the way it's the same for you and it's the same for me. Am I making sense? Are you understanding the text this morning? Martin Luther said this. The recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. You say, but but pastor, what at least that stuff in the last part of his list was, was other than persecuting the church. That was good stuff. He was super serious about God and God's honor and God's holiness. Right? He, uh, he persecuted the church. but It was in ignorance, but at least he wanted to do something for God. Uh, how is... I'm going to tell you something. You know, you know, what, you know what's going to be the hardest thing on Judgment Day for some of you? Because you're going to be on the wrong side of it. It's all that good stuff you did that you thought God would be so proud of and God looks at it as sewage. You're going to be in more trouble for that than the dumb and stupid and bad things you did. Because your good isn't, your best is foul in the eyes of God. Somebody needs to hear that. That's what Paul said. And Luther got it you got to admit that. That's the beginning of God rescuing your soul. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Jesus Christ does not save the worthy. Can I get a witness? Amen. But the unworthy. Your plea. I love that. I love Spurgeon. Your plea must not be righteousness. Your plea must be guilt. Amen? Paul got it. All that stuff. Nothing. It's garbage number three is paul's faith commendation now is the commending of his faith and the first thing i want you to know is the culmination just like he kind of pushed it forward it got bigger and bigger and bigger with his what he was counting and how he described it look at this he kind of does the same thing the first thing i see under the commendation is letter a is the culmination the the he says in here why am i counting all this good stuff these good works, as garbage as Why? Because, in comparison with what you get by faith, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, I like the old King James better, the surpassing value or virtue of the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. What that's saying is, what, what you, even what you're comparing to are two different categories. My works compare with the excellence of knowing Christ. And that's a word I want you to write down. Knowledge or knowing, it's going to come up, and it's all throughout the New Testament Scriptures. And salvation, rescue, relationship with God is based on knowledge, a knowing. And that's not knowing about God. It's knowing Him personally. Because on that day, that judgment day, many will come and say to Him, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not heal the sick in Your name? And I will say to them, Depart from me, you lawless ones, you workers of iniquity. What is he going to say? I never knew you. Does he not know about us? Oh, he knew all about us. He just didn't know us. And some of you are sitting in here today and you know all about God. You could give me memory verses. You could give me a date when you asked Jesus into your heart and when you got baptized in the lake. But you don't know Him and worse yet, He doesn't know you. And that is not okay knowledge of God the surpassing excellence of the knowledge of God verse 8 the last part that I may gain Christ I love that word it actually means win that I may here you know what all that stuff in the plus column garbage it all equals zero I'm gonna put Jesus in there (laughs) I'm gonna gain him I'd rather have Jesus deposited in the bank account of my life than anything else and when Jesus is deposited in my life, all this stuff has nothing to do with me anymore. And if it's good, glory to God, and if it's bad, I repent. Amen, That's a great way to live. Amen. y'all get me off my notes, you need to quit doing that. That made gain cry, and I love this one. This one got me excited. You thought I was excited before. Look at the last part of verse 9 A, this the beginning. or first part of verse nine. Um, he said, I suffer the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. I may gain Christ. Look at this. And be found in him. Notice he doesn't say find myself in him. Mm-mm. There's that little word be. And it has to be in the English language. In the Greek it's not there because they have a, a cool ending that tells you it's Passive. It's the passive voice of the verb. What does that mean? It means Paul's not finding himself there. Paul has nothing to do with himself being in Christ. What's the only other option there? If Paul has nothing to do with him being in Christ, who does have to do with Paul being in Christ? Christ, (laughs) right? It's a passive verb, and be found in him. Oh, listen, brothers and sisters, one day you are going to breathe your last. And the touchdowns you make aren't going to matter. God is not impressed. The money you made is not going to matter. God is not impressed. But one day you will stand before the sovereign of the universe. And brothers and sisters, you better be found in Jesus Christ on that day. Many will not be to their eternal destruction. Be found in him. I love the old song, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross of Christ I cling. What are you clinging to today? So I opened with the question, what are you trusting in to make God happy enough with you that you don't end up in hell? It better be the cross of Jesus alone. But there's always a YBH here. Someone remind me of what YBH stands for church? Yeah, about how. Yeah, about how. And we see that in the last part of verse nine, I just call that letter B as the clarification. The clarification, all oh, this is good. Someone once wrote, and I thought it was brilliantly cogent, that this next part, this next part was literally the all of the letter to the Romans. In three verses. How many of you are fans of? Do they even make Cliff Notes anymore? They did when I was. That's how we cheated. I mean, worked in college. <laughs> Don't they call Spark Notes? Y'all, y'all ever heard of the Spark Notes? Y'all a bunch of cheaters too, aren't you? <laughs> hey, that's a that's a blessing, ain't it? We didn't have audible books back in my day, uh, but Spark Notes were good. It just it condenses everything. Reader's Digest, right? It's the condensed version. I love that stuff. And they say these next three verses are the condensed version of a robust Pauline theology on salvation. And they are glorious, if I say so myself. Verse 9. And be found in him. Oh, this is good. Here's the YBH. Yeah, but How? First, he states it negatively. Not by my own righteousness, which is from the law. Is that clear? Paul said, I, I can eke out this righteousness, this, right, this righteous actions by the law. And had he done that? From the outside of the law, the exterior? Yep. He did it. He said, oh, no, 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 no. I want to be found in Jesus. Not based on my works. (laughs) Even though I nailed that law thing, uh-uh. No, 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 no. Here's the negative. Here's the negative of it. I don't want to be found there. Not with my own works. This is the doctrine of justification. Justification. Listen to this now. Jesus is my imputed righteousness. Jesus is my imputed righteousness righteousness what does that mean i want to be found in him not having a righteousness that i produce by keeping the law by doing good things and not doing bad things by the way should we do think good things and not do bad things yes or no yes but it's not that it is not the foundation of our salvation it's the fruit of our salvation it's the result don't get that mixed up and a lot of people do so justification this is coming to christ and being declared not guilty and imputed means it just gets put in your account it is also an accounting just like paul was doing a lot of accounting kingdom accounting says everything you do adds up to zero paul says okay then why bother trusting it how about we have a new plan god says good idea I'll send my son Jesus. I'll give you his perfect record. He'll take your horrible record. He'll die. He'll spend an eternity in hell and six hours on the cross, and I'll make you a trade. And as the old Indian said, that's a good trade. I'll take your hell, and I'll give you my heaven. I'll take your sin, and I will give you the heart of a saint. I'll take your treason, And I will fill you with my truth. I will take your prison. And I will offer you paradise. That's the deal. But here's the deal breaker. Don't you dare bring anything that you did. The only thing you bring to that table before this great and glorious king is the sin that made the table necessary in the first place. He does not need, does not want, and has never requested your help. God has got this. Let him get it. Stop checking boxes. That's what Paul said. I'm done. It's imputed righteousness. What's that mean? I got Jesus' record. He got mine. And I love this. It's in the past tense. If you have believed and repented of your sins and believed on Jesus Christ, it says there, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So the negative is not my own righteousness, my works. It's comes by keeping the law. But there's an affirmative there. Paul says, not this way, but this way. And that word but in there is a conjunction for contrast. Not this, but this. Here, here's the affirmative. That, what? That righteousness, by the way, righteousness is perfection, perfect standing. What do you got to do to be safe on judgment day? You have to be perfect. You do? Perfect. Write that down. It starts with a P, Dale. I can't figure the rest out, but you get it. Perfect. Perfection. God does not grade on a curb. Listen to me. He grades on a cross. He said, "I'm not perfect. And there is a perfect one, and He died in our place. And that's what He's saying here: that this, that, that which is through faith, this righteousness comes through faith in Christ." He said, "How do I get this perfect record? By agreeing with God that Jesus died in your place, and it's enough for you, is especially enough for God. I agree. I give up. I'm falling on Your grace and Your mercy, God." but God don't trust you. He doesn't trust that statement because he's going to qualify in his very next phrase. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. Look what he says right there in the Scriptures. He says, that which comes through faith in Christ, comma, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Did y'all see that? From God by faith. Let me tell you, first of all, let me tell you, about the sending. Let me tell you the source of this righteousness. Not from you. What were the Judaizers saying? Yeah, Jesus is great, but you better add circumcision. Nope. It's not from you. Nothing you do. The sending and the source is from God, this perfect record. But not only that, he says, from God, by faith. That's the receiving. So the sending, from God, by faith, via or by way of faith, by way of agreeing with God. And then we get to the consummation in verse 10 and 11. I love this. So we had justification. Righteousness deposited into my account. What did I do to earn that? Nothing. You with me? That's Paul's whole point. Now we get sanctification. He says there that I may know him. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I go back to a past action that has present effect in my life, marrying my my bride. And, and, And just last night, I was thinking praising God for her. And I found this prayer of thanksgiving just welled up in my heart. And I said, God, thank you for Beth. She fits me. My heart and her heart just fit each other. And now my biggest problem with her, if you'd like to know, is not with her, it's with me. I'm scared of making her an idol because she fits so well. I can't look to her for the meeting of any need i got to see her as a blessing and a bonus but my needs are met by my king right it's the difference between knowing and knowing i'm going to tell you something whether she wants to or not that woman knows me like i'll get stuck on words sometimes anybody get stuck you can't get the word out of your head does that happen to you she tells me what i'm thinking it's kind of frightening. Um, She knows me. She knows about how I, when I walk in the house, what kind of mood I'm in. And I don't know how she does this, but 98% of the time, she knows exactly, even when I don't know, but she knows exactly what my belly wants for supper. (laughs) It's stunning. I don't get it. But I love it. That's the difference between knowing about me. Now, Miss Winnie knows about me. And I've been her pastor for 21-plus years. But, but Winnie doesn't know me like Elizabeth knows me. Right, she knows more about me. And let's take it even further. I meet someone as a stranger today. You just introduced. You know very little. She knows me. Some of you have just been introduced to the person of King Jesus and his father, the sovereign of the universe, and you're learning about him, but you don't know him. And worse yet, he don't know you. Not that he's not aware, just you guys aren't doing life together. And Paul says here, that I may know him. This is sanctification. Jesus is now my practical righteousness, right? Now I'm looking more like Jesus. I remember when Andy and Dave came to live with us. I was just a little guy, but, you know, they fit into our family and and whatnot, and we still don't understand Andy. I mean, he's more like our father than any of us that, that dad made. And Mama always said this, well, if you feed them long enough, they start to look like you. (laughs) Listen to me, listen to me. If you and Jesus eat dinner together long enough, if, if you and the king do life together long enough, if you and your Savior sup together long enough, if you and your shepherd go through enough of those valleys of the shadow of death, you start looking like Him. And the reason some of you don't is because you don't know Him and worse yet, He don't know you. You ought to say amen or ouch. Then He says the power that I may know Him personally. And then He says, and the power of His resurrection. The power of His resurrection. That's a great power, isn't it church? The power that brought Jesus out of the tomb. I want to know that power. Why? Because when I I know him, I know the power in which he operates. And he offers it to me for his purposes. And then he says, this is the part we leave out. We don't quote this part of the verse. And the fellowship of his, listen to this, sufferings, plural. Sufferings. Sufferings. Here's the problem. We want the crown without the cross. We want heaven without hell. We want a triumph without a trial. We want a song without sorrow. And it don't work that way. It's entering into the sufferings of Christ that really makes you like Him. That's when you come out the other side looking like Jesus. I love the mountaintop. I'd like to live on the peak the rest of my life. It's a great vista, it's a great view, and it's a glorious thing to behold. But I'm going to tell you what, when the lights go out in the valley of the shadow of death and you feel the staff of your shepherd pulling you to his side and you know that there is a God who is there to rescue you, who is there to be your light on your darkest moment and on your worst day, it is on that day and that day alone. That you have entered into his sufferings and you start looking like him. You, come, you go in that valley looking one way, you come out looking a lot more like the king. And I, I'm living proof of that. It gets worse, but better if you have a kingdom mindset and we're just about done. And I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Sufferings being conformed to his what, church? Death. Man, I don't want to die. I don't know. Richard Baxter said, if God would lift the blinders and help people to really get an understanding of heaven, we'd be jumping off of bridges to get there being conformed to his death. That means made just like him in his death. Can I tell you something? Just shoot you straight as your pastor today. (laughs) The Christian life is the life of a thousand deaths. And every one of those deaths, hear me, is necessary. And it's good for you. You must believe that. If you don't understand that yet, ask the people who have done some dying I know you've heard the evangelistic plea that opens with Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life He does but that plan starts this way come and die Come and die And that's the most wonderful news you could ever hear. Because the problem is you, and the answer is Him. And then this last one, look at the last part of verse 11, or a whole verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Why do I got to die? Because you got to die to get resurrected. And the resurrection is the whole point. God said, I got great stuff for you. Trust me. Trust me, trust me. If by any means, then that's not Paul doubting, if by any means I attain the resurrection of the dead. that's our glorification. Our glorification. Jesus is my permanent righteousness, my permanent righteousness. So we have justification. Jesus is my pres- is, is my imputed righteousness. That's in the past, hopefully, if you've put your faith in Jesus, we have sanctification. Jesus is my present practical righteousness and all brothers and sisters one day one day we're going to be glorified we're going to have the same kind of body that King Jesus has in a physical way It's going to be a, I think in a mix of super spiritual physical supernatural body we're going to be just that's called glorification when we see him we will be like him the Bible says we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye that change is coming And that's glorification. And He will then be our permanent righteousness. So question for you today, before we have communion and go eat lunch together, I want to close with the question I asked at the beginning. What are you counting on to please God enough to keep you out of hell? And if the answer is anything but the cross work and the empty tomb, of King Jesus I call you I command you to repent see your sin own it reject it and you grab a hold of the cross with both hands of your soul and you trust Christ alone and you start walking with him and you do that today you know how Paul the Apostle would have answered that question certainly nothing I have done I am counting on my master, King Jesus, and his perfect record, which is given to me by faith. Because the giver gets the glory. I want to close with this last quote. The author will surprise some of you. But listen to this statement. Say, Pastor Paul, is that really for me? It's really for you. listen to this quote, no man is excluded from calling upon God. The gate of salvation is set open unto all men. Neither is there any other thing which keepeth us back from entering in save only our unbelief. From the pen of John Calvin. Imagine that. Maybe your prayer today should be, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. We're going to pray. So two things about this prayer. Some of you, that's all you need to pray. I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to hate my sin, see it for what it is. I've got to stop coming to you with my stuff and start trusting you with yours. We're getting ready to have communion for those who are saints and been baptized baptized. Um, make sure your heart's right with Him and with everybody else. So let's take a moment and pray and then I'll close us out. Seek Him now.